Good morning, friends. Uh, this is Trinity Sunday. This is a Sunday in which the church acknowledges and celebrates our one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But this is also, uh, these have also been a very tumultuous past couple of weeks. And so I've, as I've been preparing for this sermon and, and thinking about uh, today, I've just been asking myself, like, what in the world does the doctrine of the Trinity have to do with the circumstances in which we now find ourselves like, what does the Trinity have to do with 38th in Chicago? What does the Trinity have to do with Lake Street or the North Side or South Side or the Burbs? What does the Trinity have to do with anywhere in the world right now, for that matter? But the more that I've been thinking and praying about this, the more that I've been convinced that this is especially pertinent for today. And so what I would actually like to do today is I want to talk about the love that we see exemplified in the very nature of God in the Trinity itself. So I want to talk about love that we see in the Holy Trinity, but then I also want to talk about the hurt in which we see in something in which I'm going to call the anti-Trinity of our day, uh, these three particular issues that seem to be plugging everyone. And then I want to talk about, uh, I want to turn our attention to John chapter 4. Uh, so if you haven't read it yet, please pause this video, go and read John chapter 4 and come back to this, because I think that this is a story in which we see a clash between the Holy Trinity and the anti-Trinity. So we're going to be looking at John chapter 4 with that sort of lens this morning. So first, let's talk about the love that we see in the Holy Trinity. So a common depiction of the Trinity uh, in, within Christianity, especially in the Eastern Orthodox Church, is, is a, a portrait or an icon of the Trinity uh, sitting at a table enjoying a meal with one another. Uh, and in this uh, ancient depiction, you see the members of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all sitting at a table, enjoying conversation, sharing a meal with one another. And I just love that. I love that image. It just it sort of um, just stirs my heart to be more in love uh, with God. I want to be at that table, too. You know, and I just think as I, as I see that picture in, in various sort of ways, like what in the world would that, does that conversation look like? Like what are the inner thoughts of God? that are being discussed at that table. So any conversation is an exchange of words and ideas. Any conversation contains both speaking and listening. There's focused attention and also very careful thought. And that's what's happening at the, word, at, at the heart of God, conversation. But also I love that this is, this is something that's happening at a table. This is where there is celebration of good food and fine drink. The table is where the fruit of creation is harvested and brought in and prepared and then enjoyed and celebrated. People enjoy the, the beauty and the taste uh, of food and drink at the table. Food is actually picked up and shared. It's passed. It's given from one person and received by another. And this is the nature of God himself. Eternally, be, or eternally giving and receiving. Eternally listening and speaking. Sharing and partaking. God in his very being is an eternal relationship of love. So keep that in mind. Keep in mind that God is love because we'll be coming back to that in a moment. But now I want to talk about another trinity uh, that we're all experiencing right now. Uh, and, and you could even say there's these, there's these three levels of hurt uh, that we're all feeling right now. So I want to talk, talk very um, uh, briefly about each one of these. So first, I think one person uh, in this anti-Trinity, in this, this hurt of the anti-Trinity, I think the first person of it would be this global pandemic that we're all uh, suffering right now. 
And obviously, I don't need to go into any details about this. I'm sure you all are absolutely sick and tired of, of hearing about it just as much as I am talking about it. Um, and we can talk about like the, the disease itself. We could talk about the accompanying joblessness that it's created, the sense of um, uh, social isolation that it's created. There's just even multiple layers of pain wrapped within this global pandemic that we're all uh, experiencing right now. You know, for me, like, I, yeah, it's, it's a social isolation that's really getting to me. Um, you know, at, at night, as I've been trying to fall asleep, uh, I will close my eyes and picture myself standing in front of all of you, the congregation. And I'll just picture um, all of you sit, uh, seating, uh, sitting there uh, down in the, in the Nokomis Community Center, and I'll just move my eyes from the left side of the room to the right, just naming as many of you as I can. Uh, because I miss you. I miss seeing your faces. Preaching to a camera is not the same thing as preaching to a room full of you. I miss being in the same space with you. The social isolation that this is, is causing in all of, us, all of us is just significantly painful right now. So the first person in this anti-Trinity, I would say, is this global pandemic. The second would be the racism and the injustice that we've been experiencing, particularly in these last couple of weeks. You know, all of the tragic events that have been surrounding the killing of George Floyd. So just this last Tuesday, there was a, a silent um, clergy march that happened. Uh, well, silent in the march, and then once we gathered together, there was, there was talking and praying. And this was just a, a really, really beautiful time to show solidarity as a Christian church to the rest of the neighborhood. But it was also a really sad moment. You know, I, we kept hearing um, members of the black church saying, we just want you to, we just want to hear you say that our lives matter. And them just, just weeping and mourning, like, why is that so hard for the white church to say right now? And then also hearing them say, we, we've been fighting these battles for so long and it's not working. We need your voices in this fight with us. And so all of our hearts were just torn open in that moment. Um, and then also in all the subsequent events surrounding uh, this, this killing, obviously like the, the riots that have been going on uh, have just been compounding the sense of, of hatred and terror uh, in this nation. So I would say uh, that the second person in this anti-trinity is this wicked injustice that we've all been experiencing. <clears throat> so thirdly, I would say, the third person in this trinity, in this anti-trinity, would be those individual burdens that we're all carrying, that are unrelated to the first two items. Just the personal wounds that we're dealing with, the personal um, just suffering that we're all dealing with right now. So some of you, for example, are caring for aging parents, for parents who are, who are in their final moments of life and trying to provide some sort of honor and solace and peace to them in these moments. Some of you are, are, are dealing with just some, some additional stressors upon your marriage. And it's just causing us a lot of pain and sort of things that sort of bubble up again. It's been threatening your marriage itself. And then many of you are dealing with just battles of, of addictions and depression and other um, matters in your lives. You know, it just seems like every single person I talk to is just has, has this heightened um, weight and load or this heavier weight and load that's been placed upon them in spite of the other two um, elements of pain that have been going on uh, in our world right now. So it might be weird to think about each one of these three things as like a, a person within an anti-trinity, 
you know, like the, the global pandemic, the racial injustice, the personal burdens that we're facing. Like, why would I talk about that as a, a trinity, right? Well, remember what St. Paul says in the sixth chapter of Ephesians. At verse 12, he says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but rather against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness. We are wrestling against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So while it might be weird to think about those three things as, as being persons, you know, it, it's certainly plausible that there are spiritual principalities and powers behind those things, driving those things, fueling and amplifying those things across our world right now. And certainly there's, there's a conversation that's happening between each of those three things, a demonic, evil conversation that's just making these pains each feel more sophisticated, more compounded than they would be by themselves. And friends, this anti-trinity is both heavy and exhausting and destructive. But praise be to God that he does not leave us alone. Oh, I love that he's given us the Bible. I love that he's given us his word, a place in which this God of love speaks to us. Friends, the Bible is so remarkably relevant, even in the most unusual of circumstances, like the ones in which we now find ourselves. So now I want to turn our attention to John chapter 4, where I think we see a clash between the Holy Trinity and the Anti-Trinity. And uh, spoiler alert, I think our Lord prevails. But let's talk about this in a, uh, for, uh, let's talk about this briefly. So first, the Anti-Trinity in John chapter 4. Now, obviously, there's no coronavirus in John chapter 4. There's no global pandemic that we can see happening here. However, the circumstances that we see in this, particularly in this woman's life, have led her, have pushed her into a lifestyle of social isolation. The text uh, tells us that she comes to get water from the well at the sixth hour. Uh, that's the biblical way of saying uh, noontime. Now, people in the desert don't go and draw water at noontime. No, you would go, you would wait until the cool of the day. You don't go when the sun is directly above. No, because what, what we're seeing here is that this is a person who's avoiding the crowds. She doesn't get to meet new people. She doesn't get to talk to her friends. She doesn't get to work alongside uh, others. No, this is a person who is incredibly alone. But secondly, she is living in a world of racial tension, of racial injustice. The Jews did not like the Samaritans, to put it lightly. The Jews called them half-breeds. They, they called them dogs. They, they called them unclean. The Jews assumed that the Samaritans were always up to no good. They would avoid their neighborhood, right? Like if you were going from Judea, uh, which is in the south, up to Galilee in the north, Samaria is in the middle. So if you were a good Jew, you would walk around Samaria so that you yourself wouldn't be deemed unclean. And if you accidentally did go into Samaria, well, then you'd have to go to the temple and you'd have to, you'd have to be deemed clean by the priests there. You see, there is this deep-seated hatred of the Samaritans by the Jewish people. There is a, a generational ethnic hatred that's been going on here. Well, thirdly, this woman is experiencing just personal woundedness. We hear in this text that she has had multiple husbands. Now, I know that it's easy for us, as we read this text, to look and to blame her, to make her out to be the one who caused all of that to happen in her life, to cause all of these broken relationships in her life. But the fact of the matter is, is that the text doesn't say that. 
The text never condemns her in this passage. So for all we know, she could be a victim of a corrupt and unjust um, uh, city. You know, she could, have, she could be the victim of just horrible, awful relationships in her past. But one thing that I do think is safe for us to say is that this isn't the life that she asked for. She didn't want to go through five or six different relationships. No, of course not. But for whatever reason, she has lived through multiple broken relationships. And she now finds herself where she is with a tremendous weight of personal woundedness that is affecting every single aspect of her life right now. So here in this text, we see that this is a woman who's experiencing social isolation, racial tension, and personal woundedness. Well, not only do we see the anti-Trinity in this passage, but thanks be to God, we also see the Holy Trinity present here in this passage, ministering to her and rescuing her and loving her here in this message. So first we see the directive of God the Father. In verse 4, we read that Jesus had to go to Samaria. Now, that's a weird thing to say, because practically speaking, in that culture, Jesus actually didn't have to go. In fact, it was, it was assumed that he wouldn't have to go through Samaria, but he did. And elsewhere in the Gospels, we read that Jesus does not say anything or do anything unless the Father tells him to. So I think that's safe to say that Jesus had to go through Samaria because of the directive, the initiative, the mission, the love of God the Father. God the Father, seeing this woman and saying, I want to reach out to her and I want to redeem her. And so he sends his son to go and to chat with her at the noon time of day. So God pushes through our racial barriers in order to be with us. So secondly, in this passage, this is probably the obvious thing, but we see the presence of God the Son. God, clothed in flesh, sitting down next to her. And I love that in verse 6, the text says that, that Jesus was wearied from his journey. What a beautiful reminder that Jesus feels the same things that we feel. He's been walking all day. He's been on a journey, and he is tired of this. And may that be a reminder to you, or may that be an encouragement to you, do you feel exhausted right now? Do you feel wearied from your journey? Because Jesus knows what it's like to feel that way as well. Well, thirdly, in this passage, we see the promise of the Holy Spirit. We see the promise. We see Jesus offering to this woman the life-giving waters of the Holy Spirit. Living waters. Water that doesn't run out. Water that's abundant and gushing and flowing all over the place. The Spirit of God himself. His presence. Well, friends, do you know what all of this means? Do you know what all of this means for me and you and, and, and our entire city? All of those around us who we see crying out for help? You know, all of those who are, who are mourning and asking, where in the world is God in this moment? When is justice going to come down? Do you know what this means? It means that God isn't afraid of our pain. He's not afraid of our injustice. He's not afraid, afraid of the sorrows and the burdens that we care, carry along with us. No, in fact, what this shows us is that God hates social isolation. No, he wants to be your friend. He wants to sit down at the well with you and talk to you to hear about the burdens that you're carrying. And then he wants to restore you back into the community. He wants to give you back those friendships. He wants to restore back the, your loved ones to you. And also we see that God wants to break through racial barriers. He could care less about the fact that that's a bad part of town. No, he wants to go there, talk to you, and bring you in and see you at his table. 
He wants to bring you into the fellowship of himself so that he can share the fruits of creation with you, to, to enjoy good food and fine drink with you. He wants you at the table. He could care less about our barriers of hatred that we've set up. He will break through those to be with us. And lastly, he wants to be present with us in our particular pain. He wants to fill us with his own spirit so that we don't have to go through life alone. That no matter where we go, he will be with us, comforting us, crying when we cry, laughing when we laugh, speaking to us through his holy scriptures, giving us a supernatural sense of peace and hope wherever we go. That is what he wants to do for us. So friends, may we be reminded, as we go about the rest of this week, may we be reminded that God is with us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's in his name and for his glory that we say all of these things. Amen.